Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this special edition. I'm here with astrologer Adam Summer, and we're going to be talking today about a concept called rewilding with Chiron. And then Adam is also going to give us some more insights on the comet Neowise. And Adam, I'm so excited to be here with you today. I was just looking back at our podcast and seeing that you were the first special edition podcast episode that we did this year. And it was wow. March 13th, and it was right when things were starting to get really weird. And I remember just being like, Adam, can we talk? I need to talk to you. And can we share it with everybody? And we had such an amazing conversation. I remember that. But it's so great to have you back right now, kind of mid-year, to check in again. Yeah, yeah well, it's nice to be back with you, Amanda. I'm happy that you're healthy and that... And you're still doing all the work. Absolutely. Yeah. The work is the best part. <laughs> yeah. Spoken like a true Capricorn, right? Mm. Um, so let's talk first about the Comet Neowise. I saw a post you did, and I loved some of the thoughts that you had about the Comet, what it might be meaning, some of the history of Comet. So can we just talk about that first? Sure. Yeah, I, I'm noticing a pattern here, Amanda, that you have me on to talk about things I'm not an expert on. <laughs> COVID. But you write so beautifully about them, and I go, oh my gosh, yeah. I want him to talk about this. No, I can say a few things. Um, and I, like I was telling you before, like I have a story as well. Like it was, aside from Chiron's stories, like like as a comet story, um, it, 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 yeah, it, relates to like what we do astrologically like tracking transits right so neowise right this wise visitor that i still haven't seen like every night here it gets all cloudy and i can't see nor was i waking up early enough in the morning to see it so i still haven't seen it have you no i still haven't seen it either i've only no. seen i've only seen videos and pictures of people who have seen it on the island but only with special cameras. Like I mm -hmm. think to the visible eye here, it's, it's really hard to see, but when you have the camera, then it works. Yeah. There's some really amazing photos yes. of it for sure. So actually thanks to Gemini Brett, like he created a little ephemeris so you can track it. I think he got it from planetarium and like at the moment, Neowise is in late Virgo about to move into Libra. And so it's just been zipping through that territory of the zodiac. I think it st first started being visible in the morning when it was in Cancer, maybe some Gemini. And then I wrote that post right when it was transitioning from Leo to Virgo is when I did that. And so what I do know is that historically comets when seen are a bit portentous, right? Like Aristotle believed that when comets uh, were witnessed that it would be a hot and arid year, that it wouldn't be good for the crops. A lot of ways that it wouldn't be too beneficial either for the empire or the king, especially if it fell in an ominous place in the chart, right, of the kingdom and stuff like that. And so that's, you know, how it seems a, a lot of the translations were. So not natural implications and that of i mean a lot of mundane implications which is kind of the case with transits or not transits but i was gonna say eclipses and right. many other big sky phenomena like it always was like that in a mundane sense and so i was just thinking about it and like i've definitely had these conversations with other astrologers in my 
13 years doing this, like of what comets represent, what are they really? And so just to think about like, what are they, right? It's definitely a kind of visitor. Like this one, supposedly we're not gonna see it again for six, 800 years, right? It's a while and no one in the Southern hemisphere even got to see this one. So it's a visitor, just like Chiron, to hint at that, what we'll talk about. They're both visitors and also like what it's composed of, right? Like a lot of the materials is like billions of years old, whether there's organic matter involved or not. It's just this debris that is burning off in space, right? And if we just take a bit of a leap into what that might represent as it's moving through the chart, like what could it be burning off in us, right? And so the story that I have actually happened after I wrote about it. And so my post was just a small one about some of the historical takes on comets and then also this idea of burning off old stories, like what's you know, being created in this tale that's visible, both tale of a comet, but also the tales of our lives. And someone emailed me and they had a really great story about how it uh, showed up for them. And then I saw that ephemeris that Gemini Brett released. And then I realized that there was this really big thing that happened to me when the comet was to the degree on my Venus. And the story was basically releasing something that I had been carrying with me for like over two years. And it really successfully, I, I feel like it burned it off. Like I yeah. feel lighter, I feel different. I'm not like haunted in the same way by this story. It was really interesting how it worked. And then I even had a dream that was attached to it. I was like, hmm, Neowise, comets, there's something to this. And it was also in process of prepping for this Chiron class that I just did, which you know, some people say that Chiron's a planet or a planetoid, uh, many say Chiron's a comet. I'm kind of in that camp. I think it's a comet that got caught in, in, in orbit, like within our solar system. And so visitors. Wow, interesting. So if people want to track the comet in their chart as well, and because I don't know about all of you, but what you're, what you're explaining about stories that have haunted or stayed with us for some time, just having those moments of dissolution, finally, you know, after years, yeah. I've had that experience too. And I thought it was maybe just like a sign of the times and, and what's happening this year with karma and the opportunity we have. But now that you're bringing in Neowise, it'd be so interesting to be able to track and see um, on what dates is it hitting specific points in our charts. Absolutely. I mean, like for me, that's the, the feel around it. I mean, there is so much happening in the sky, my God. Like it's hard to separate what's what, right. what's, really, what's really going on. Right. But that, the, the comet experience absolutely related to, to what I was going through just because I knew like what my Venus represented as far as how the, the story was living in me. Right. And so when it was zipping across, it was just like one of those aha moments and you don't really doubt it you know that it's legit in that way. So that's my first comet story in a way. Very nice. You know, you say, um, I ask you to talk about things you're not an expert in, mm. but the truth is, and, and we are going to be talking about Chiron, which you are very expert. I'm fond in. of him. Yes. Fond, very fond. <laughs> I do let you talk about Mercury. Um, but nobody really knows, you know, with the comet thing, I feel like there's, 
there's, there's understanding that each person is bringing to the conversation about it based on their personal experiences, you know, old stories that they have of the last time there was a comment or what they're gleaning in communication or conversation with the comment now. And then, yes, we can piece together things from history, but, you know, the, even the historical perspective on eclipses, it's like it, it brings us information, but then living the eclipses and experiencing them brings a whole nother level of understanding, I think, for each individual. So it's just what we're doing right now with the comment as well. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially with Chiron, we'll talk about that. Yeah, that's absolutely, I think, what we're doing with Chiron. And should we go there? Yeah, right. yeah. So can you please start? You, you brought up something I've never heard before. And I don't know if I've just been on an island or something. and Everybody knows about this. But why would Chiron be a comet? I've, I've never even heard that as a potential. Right. So, I mean, even on the Wikipedia, if you if you look it up, like when it was discovered in 1977, November 1st, to be exact, the yeah, the classification I don't think happened immediately. It took some months for it to be named and classified and all of this. But like the headlines back then were that it was a planet, like the 10th planet had been discovered. Mm. And and then in closer observation of it, like it's not as big as a planet, but it's quite close. And so is it? And, and a lot of folks speak of it as a comet, as a visitor. Like it came in around, I don't know, two million years ago or something like this. And there's a bunch of these objects that are caught um, between the asteroid belt and the Kuiper belt. And they're all called centaurs. And so Chiron's not the only one. Like there's many other ones and Chiron's the only one that I actually use in my practice. Uh, so centaurs are out there. And I mean, the naming of things is quite important, Amanda, but like all in all, it is something that has a very eccentric and elliptical orbit between Saturn and Uranus. Okay. Like this is one of the most interesting pieces of Chiron is the astronomy because when it's at its, perihelion like when it's closest to the sun it breaches the orbit of saturn and when it's the furthest it breaches the orbit of uranus and so it is this intermediary and barbara hanclaw calls it like the rainbow bridge between the known and the unknown there's something about that absolutely true and one of the more interesting things as well about chirons we haven't known about chiron for one entire orbit in fact, we still have seven years to go before Chiron gets back to three degrees of Taurus. And so what you were saying, like, yeah, we're kind of gathering stories, right? Like we're, it's all of our own experience and that's really important. And so some of the stories and observations that we've had about Chiron, of course, are it's the wounded healer. Everyone knows that one, right? And it's a huge part of the story and especially with the way I, I think Carl Jung talked about the wounded healer, which is that we are always on a journey learning from each other. And so he meant it in the context of uh, therapist or practitioner and client that like, if there's ever that moment where you're not learning still and in a way getting medicine from everybody and also in giving it to, that's a problem. Like we always have to have that beginner's mind. And that was, as far as I understand it, Jung's take on the wounded healer. He wasn't talking about Chiron back then. We didn't even know about Chiron, but the wounded healer thing, 
And then there's this maverick idea or the dark horse or the alpha omega. There's all these wonderful contributions that people have had since Chiron's discovery in 77. And so this is something that I uh, get excited about with this because it's like, well, what more do we have to learn, right? And so Chiron currently is in Aries and its first ingress into Aries was in spring of 2018 and then it moved back into Pisces and then like secured its position in Aries uh, last spring in 2019, okay? Now, Chiron, because of this really eccentric orbit, it spends by far the longest amount of time in Aries and the shortest amount of time in Libra. Now, just that too alone is really curious. Like why so much time in Aries and so little time in Libra? I want to pose that as a question to you, Amanda. What do you think? Like what comes up to you when you think about Chiron spending so much time in the first sign of the Zodiac? Well, it's my North and South node. So Ooh. that's just fascinating to me. And it's like this journey from Aries to Libra for me personally, which is like this constant backdrop of most interactions that I have. The journey from me to we and I to us and this. And, and my partner, actually, he has the reverse nodes. Ooh, that's good synastry. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Is he older or younger? Yes. He's older. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing to have that like constant dance. So I'm very intimate with this Aries Libra thing, but why would Chiron, the quote unquote wounded healer or maverick, which I don't know as much about this, that archetype. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, the maverick's one Aries? of them. Yeah. Why in Aries? Why the warrior? Why? Hmm. This would take more exploration for me. And I'd love to hear what you all have to think about this or what you all have to say about this, but tell us. Well, it's an exploration, really. <laughs> and, and, and I think, I mean, the ideas that come to me is just working with the stories, right? Like most of the stories, if not all of them, that you read or hear about Chiron is, of course, him in the teaching role. The centaur is the mentor, this one particular. All of his classes take place outside at the edge of things, near his cave in Pelion. And in some sense, learning with Chiron is, well, his cave is like a hero factory because from Theseus to Jason to Dionysus to Asclepius, like all these great Greek heroes and heroines learned from Chiron. And so there's something inherently interesting about that when you think of Ares, right? That like you, you mentioned the warrior, right? Not to say that this Aries as the archetype is necessarily a hero, but like what's really important about it as far as our own development is an absolute clarity about what we are, where we're going, right? Like where is the action pointed? And we can also say like because Aries relates to the head, right? Like we can get so caught in the idea of self and everything else that happens in the head that the longest journey we all have is from the head to the heart, mm. right? And I think our culture too, this is an interesting one as far as the context being in the 21st century is we completely lack initiation or rites of passage. And I think that Chiron was a, ma a maestro at providing that to his students. And I'm sure it looked very differently for everyone, skillful means, right? And, and so there's something about working with Chiron that inherently initiates us because we get in contact with 
the lies that we tell ourselves. We get in contact with our wounds. Like the, the deepest stories that are in us maybe circulate around Chiron, but there's so much more in the chart. I think he's the one that shows them to us in a way that is quite uncomfortable, but also shows us the way out. Mm-hmm. And so in my experience in just working with Chiron for 12 years and, and doing these retreats that I do that are like Asclepions, like dreaming with Chiron and, and working with that content, it's very clear that, especially in the dreamscape, Chiron's a shapeshifter. I've never seen him in a centaur form. Like he shows up for me in so many different ways, oftentimes like in the form of singers, songwriters, or writers, funny enough. And, and the teachings are always fascinating, right? But they, they show up when they need to. And there's like a specific offering of like, here's something that you can do. Here's something that you can read. Here's a practice that can help you move through this part of the story. And there's always a bit, and this is where the rewilding thing comes in. There's always a bit that relates to that as well, that nature is the great physician, that we can't solve it all with our head, right? Like we have to, in a way, tune our ear to the language of birds. We have to get outside and reconnect to the natural world, which is a theme we were talking about with COVID as well. Like it's a really important thing. And Chiron hasn't got enough press, even from me, during all of this. And I think that where he's at right now with Mars, like Mars and him just came together on the 14th. And here we go with Mars, right? I'm sure you've been covering it on your podcast. And it's going to be a very intense fall, as, as we all know, with Mars going retrograde in Aries. But it all began in my eyes when the two of them came together. And so there was a teaching that day and it's still available right and so like what is it in aries so you're south node amanda is that what you're saying in aries yeah in aries yeah so like what is the teaching that is trying for you like i see the south node in k2 as an ancestral line like it's something that connects you very deeply to your own inheritance and so like what is it that you're remembering like what is it like, what is it what is this medicine that you're trying to bring forth to the astrology hub and to the world like what is this what is this magic? And so those are some, some of the ideas to open it up with Chiron. And we can go deeper into rewilding if you want to. Of course I want to. Before yeah. we go there, two more archetypes came to me as you were speaking. And this as the sage. Okay. And then yes. also as Yoda. Oh, Yoda. Yes, because because yeah. if 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 he is, if Chiron is the trainer of heroes or like the the initiator of heroes, mm-hmm. there is this element of wisdom that would be passed along to, because any, any heroes that, that I, you know, the Marvel movies or, you know, the heroes that we see on the screen, there normally is wisdom in them. They're not just like haphazardly going out and creating havoc. There is, there's, uh, there's more wisdom, at least, they get to that if they don't have it to begin with. Hmm. And so it would seem if, if Chiron is initiating us into the hero and heroine of our own lives, so there's this combination of, of warrior and lover, which very much is Mars. So it's, I'm seeing this, this connection point of Chiron and, and Mars as 
potentially the, the infusion of some wisdom into the warrior that we'll be with throughout the fall and the warrior within each of us. It's, you know, the, 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 the wisdom around timing, the wisdom around, um, you know, when to sit back and when to take action and how to take action and what is loving action. Like what is, what does love actually look like when it is embodied with the warrior? But it seems if a warrior or a hero were to have that kind of information, they'd have to have a very, very, very wise sage-like teacher, like a Yoda. Yeah. Like a Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, yeah, I wrote a post not too long ago talking about baby Chiron. And when I was talking about baby Chiron, I was thinking about baby Yoda. Have you seen baby Yoda? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, well, it's it's the new Star Wars series called The Mandalorian. Okay. And Baby Yoda's in it. So Baby Yoda is the cutest thing in the world. Oh my and gosh, I bet. When I, when I wrote that, I was literally thinking about Baby Yoda. And amazing offerings, right? Like we're discovering this together. We've got seven years still to discover things, and it's all Aries, right? Like what is the purest teaching that Chiron is going to leave us with before the first return? And so you bring up Yoda, and then we have to talk about Luke, because there's something about orphan wisdom with Chiron as well. So whether it's Luke Skywalker, orphaned, Harry Potter, orphaned, Asclepius, orphaned, Jason, orphaned, Chiron himself, orphaned. When he came into this world, Amanda, mom wasn't around. She was so disgusted with what came out of her that she begged the gods to be released from her form. And so they turned her into a tree, but a specific tree, a a linden tree, which under linden trees, which is a divinatory tree, only truth can be spoken. And that's an interesting idea. And then dad was Kronos, Saturn, depending on who is telling the story. And that brings in the astronomy of things. Because if Saturn, is one of the orbits that he touches during his 50 year orbit. Who is Saturn's father? Uranus, right? And that's the other orbit that he crosses. Now, I don't think astronomers were aware of this when they named Chiron, whoever specifically named Chiron, I don't think they were aware of this. This is just part of the unfolding of, of of the myth, really. And when you think of that, orphan wisdom, but also father wounds. This is a big observation like Liz Green specifically has had about Chiron, like the son Chiron connection oftentimes is like deep daddy stuff that shows up, whether it's a conjunction, a square, or simply a transit. Like she has written about this and it's really interesting stuff, but there's something here right of of like what comes down the patriarchal lineage and how chiron is a symbol of a key like chiron is the key of unlocking that like how can we work with it how can we forgive our fathers how can we understand like how to walk in a pure way from from our heart not being held by the ghosts of the past and we can move forward like a hero in this life and i think more than ever this is important because we're in a we're in a zeitgeist that is very prickly and explosive right now and there's a lot of finger pointing happening in the world and i think part of chiron's teaching and his medicine is like what's the point 
what's the point of pointing any fingers? He's like, moon, sun, mother, father, Artemis, Apollo, those were his surrogate parents. And of course, the linden tree gave him shelter from the, the, the hard weather and the dark nights and all of this. And little did he know, I think, that whole time that it was his mother that was sheltering him throughout that, but also teaching him how to live in truth, right? How to live in a truthful way, because that ultimately is where the healing is. Like when we tell our stories true, we don't amend them to fit any narrative that we're trying to create for the world, but like we're vulnerable, we're honest. This is what, where we've been, this is what we've been through. And we tell our stories true, something is released, right? Something happens when we really do our best to see our past clearly and move forward with grace. This is what Chiron has shown me at least. Oh my gosh. I mean, so many things are activating for me, which always happens with you. It's amazing. It must be our, like there's a, the, the, and I'm sure it's moon. Sun, moon. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Yeah. So, well, the truth in the storytelling, not only telling our stories true, but seeing our stories from truth, mm. which so many times we see our stories from the lie the lie that was created from the wound. So if, if, if the, uh, you know, if the wound or the lie is that we're not good enough or we're not enough, or there's something to be shameful about, or we are not right on some level, that's the lie. And so to be able to transform that story under the light of truth of who we actually are is also part of that truth telling and healing but then also this thing you're bringing in with Saturn as his father and Chiron wounds specifically a lot of wounding around the father, which is the first imprint of the masculine, which we see playing out everywhere, the wounded masculine, both what that does for the masculine and what that does for those affected by the wound of the masculine and how if we were able to focus our attention on healing those things and, and bringing forth the, the beauty of the masculine, you know, the, 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 the strength of the masculine. And then this idea, gosh, wow, of Chiron infusing the hero with that truth. And if the hero is coming from that place, how amazing things can happen, like beautiful things can happen. So, hmm. Good stories. <laughs> nice. When so you're telling nice. stories, I find myself, and are you all like this too? I'm like, you, your voice gets a little bit quieter as you tell the story. And it's like, we're leaning in. Like, with, I can imagine that we're sitting around a fire and it's like, we're all leaning in to hear your words. Um, <clears throat> Adam, let's talk yeah. about let's talk a little bit more about this rewilding concept so sure. i know we, we did talk about this on march 13th and i'd love well, we to did. hear how it relates we did well oh, we didn't good. talk specifically about rewilding but we talked about okay. nature yeah 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 can we talk about it in in relation to chiron and why those two come together and what are your thoughts sure. on that sure sure so rewilding i don't even know when the term started getting around it's used in a lot of context um, one of the main ones is with like a like uh, restoration of landscape, 
right? Like allowing nature to do its thing and just repair itself. All right. Like that's one concept of rewilding and introducing uh, the flora and the fauna of a place and just allowing it to come back into symbiotic balance, right? Like there's that usage of the word. And then it's become very popular as far as like a movement, right? Almost like a back to the land, but also kind of like an ancient, uh, not like an, what's the concept I'm looking for with that one? I guess like a romanticism almost about the hunter and gatherer in all of us. Maybe it's like the popularity of shows like Alone as well, or just getting out there. But there's this, there's a part of us that's wild. And also just the symbol of a centaur gets us right in the ballpark of that. Chiron from the sacrum up is a man, but from the sacrum down is a horse. And it's a wonderful symbol of like what's going on in our own brain. And in us, like we are animal and like we can't forget that. And I think a lot of people think we're, you know, different from the natural world, but we're not like we, we come out of it. Right. And so it's very important to live from that place and understand like, well, what are the laws of nature? Right. And like, one of them is definitely reciprocity. Like you never take anything before you give first right? Like you have to honor the mother in this way. And I think it was one probably of, of the main transmissions that Chiron got from his mother in the form of the tree. Like you can learn everything from Taurus, from a tree. And Chiron was in Taurus when he was discovered. Like that too is, is very interesting. Actually, the Chiron discovery chart is one of the most amazing charts I've ever seen. It's so helpful. And, and contemplating like the nature of Chiron. It's really an interesting chart. And so there's that, right? And there's also this concept of where is Chiron's classroom, right? Again, it's at the edge of things. Like Chiron's cave was on Mount Pelion. And I don't think he ever had a loft in Athens. I don't think he ever, you know, was hooked up to Wi-Fi, never had a cell phone, whether they had them back then or not, whether we have forgotten. It's just, there is something that I think a part of us romanticizes about living that way. And not to say we have to, right? Not to say there is like this archaic revival that must happen, but there's still skills that can be learned from the natural world. And some of the, the, the more intense ways of getting in touch with Chiron is like being on the hill, doing vision quests, no food, no water, four days and four nights, right? Doing certain ceremonies with plants and really connecting with the natural world that way. Just immersions, right? Like even a long weekend in a tent in the wilderness, like there's all these different ways that we can do it. And our body knows it. Like we came from that world and there's so much that we can unpack within that, but that's the rewilding idea. And like, there's, it's still kind of percolating in my imagination, but like, I think Chiron transiting throughout the chart that he's showing us how we can rewild in those spaces as he moves throughout the chart. Like there's all these like unique ways that, that the wild or that nature in general can teach us the specific lesson that we need in that given area of our life. Okay. Two questions. Sure. The first one is why 
is it the most interesting chart? Can you oh. give us some insights into why you say that? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, first point, uh, the ascendant is on the galactic center. Mm. So it's at 26 or 27 degrees Sag. Mm. That right there is revealing. It's like, what is Chiron trying to embody? Well, the galactic center is the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy, right? And to many cultures, the Egyptians and the Mayan, like that is the entry point or the exit point, depending on your angle of seeing it, of the afterlife, the Duat. And so there's such an interesting idea with that. Like how is Chiron trying to teach us about where we come from and where we go? Well, Yoda knows the answers to that, right? And all sages or wisdom keepers, they know those stories, right? They know what takes place along the Milky Way road. And so there's something to that. The ruler of the chart, which is Jupiter, if it's, a, if it's a sad rising chart, is conjunct the moon in Cancer. So you have an exalted Jupiter, a domicile moon, a very strong signature in the eighth house. Now I use whole sign, so it might be in a different house if someone casts it in porphyry or something like that. But you see the ruler of the chart with the moon in the eighth house. Like right there, you have a clue of like what needs to be done to fully embody Chiron. Like, where are the, like, what are the coordinates of the path for all of us with Chiron? Well, it's to work with the shadow, to work with what's closeted, to talk true about all of our shame and everything we would prefer to be hidden from the world. See, that's the, the trick with the eighth house. We would much prefer to keep everything closeted and secret in that space, but that's not how it works. That's what therapy is all about, right? Like we need a safe space to talk about our demons and to talk about the shit that has happened to us, right? Like we need that space. And so the Chiron chart shows us very clearly that that's the work. That's what we have to do. And you know, I often think about this too, like with a Chiron transit, if he's say transiting over your ascendant or your son right now, a big transit, think of a teacher living with you for at least a year how much would your behavior change if yoda was waiting for you at the breakfast table every morning oh wow that'd be so awesome right <laughs> it's so amazing what do you think he eats for breakfast <laughs> yoda, yoda. nothing he's he's he he eats air in some oh way. he's a he's a breatharian <laughs> he is he's totally yoda, a breatharian, a breatharian. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Cause it, there's not much that looks edible in uh, Dagobah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. So yeah, those are just a couple of things and there's more like the whole thing is this wild one thing. Oh, you're going to love this one, Amanda, the Chiron chart. So we'll say Chiron has the same nodes as you. They go from Aries to Libra. Wow. Interesting. What degree are your nodes? Do you know? You would know more than I do. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know you get a stacked 12th house with a like Capricorn and a Gemini moon. Let me look. I'll see if I have it. We'll see. But I think it's at 12. I think uh, this is, this, I think this is a great question. What does Yoda eat for breakfast? Um, I just saw this thing and I, and I think I told you guys about it on one of the podcasts, this talk between Bruce Lipton, Nassim Haramine and Greg Braden and Bruce oh, nice. Lipton 
was talking about how we only get 10% of our energy from our food. We get 90% of it from the field. Ooh. So I think Yoda is really proficient at getting his energy from the field. Yeah, but like a cheat really master. Interesting to hear what everybody thinks about yeah. what Yoda eats for breakfast. Okay, so keep going. I got it. And you're going to love what I have to say here. Wow. Wow, wow. So your nodes are nine. Okay. Nine degrees Aries to Libra. The conjunction that happened on the 14th between Chiron and Mars was at nine. Wow. Yeah. So that conjunction happened on your south node. June 14th? Yeah. June I got to look it up. Okay. I'll report to you all. That's amazing. Good one. Because maybe that's one of those revelation moments that I was talking about, like you had with your Venus. Sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> nice. How quick wizards these days can pull up a chart. Like, oh, wait, like 2,000 years ago. <laughs> let, me, let me go through the parchments, man. Let me, oh, not that one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so, yeah. so we're on the Chiron and the shadow and, um, and the nodes. You were, oh, you were talking about the chart and the nodes and all this. So the nodes is a part of it, right? Like the nodal story of Chiron goes from Aries to Libra. So you wow. live with this. What yeah. can you share with us about that? Like, how do you describe that dragon? What does that work for you? That work is facing the vulnerability of needing others, mm. of, of, okay. being, of, of recognizing that there's only so much one can do alone and that in in actually there's, but there's such a vulnerability in, in trusting that others will show up and be there. And it's, it's a really interesting dance of like, because there's this, I can just do it all myself, yeah. you know, which is, especially with the Capricorns very present, right? Like, well, I'll just do it. I'll just take care of it. But in that there's a closing off to love. There's a closing off to receiving. There's a closing off to, to the, um, the exponential bigness of something that the potential that other people bring when we allow them to contribute their gifts, when we allow them to give to us. And so, um, yeah, that's a constant dance. That's it's so rewarding too, with every like out, like additional ounce of trust, like, okay, again, it's that vulnerability of receiving and vulnerability of, of, re of not relying, but being interdependent. I mean, the, re the vulnerability and the truth of being interdependent. That's good. Now yeah. imagine how hard it must have been for Chiron to receive. No parents, yes. did it alone, made it in this world alone. By the way, he was the first centaur as well. So there was no one else like him. Think about that kind of loneliness. Wow. No one else like him. And so to have to learn, like, what do I look like in the mirror of other? How do I relate? Those stories I want to hear. Like, it's often skipped over. Like, there's a lot of focus on Chiron at the end, having the wound, having been accidentally shot in the knee by Hercules, one of his students. But those early stories, right? Like the first days or, or however long it took for him to receive all of the great teachings about the plants and the cycles and, and, and how to work 
with with nature in that way from Artemis or the moon and all the great teachings from Apollo about healing and music and divination. Like it took a while to take all that in, but then who was the first person that he came across? Who was his first friend? Mm. Who was his first lover? Because behind every great sento, there's got to be a woman. Chiron was married. His wife was named Shriklo. Uh, so these are all questions. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know those stories. If anyone does, send them to us. Well, what I love about this exploration, though, is that it's highlighting that so much of great astrology is an exploration, is asking these questions that go deeper than what's just conveyed by someone else in a book. And mm -hmm. was their perception of, of how things happened. But how, encouraging this very intimate connection with these planets and or comets allows for the wisdom to be alive. And it allows for the wisdom to um, evolve as we evolve, which feels really important, especially right now at this point in time, as we are burning away so much of the past and looking towards a future that is so unknown to be able to move in very organic, alive dance with the energies of the planets and the Zodiac and grow together because I, I think that's happening, you know, and that's why astrologers like you are so appealing, especially in a time right now, because you're not frozen in time. You know, you're not frozen in a perspective. You're, you're in the exploration and bringing so much to it. So it's just fun to witness actually. And it's fun to see what it inspires in myself. And I'm guessing that it inspires a similar type of exploration for everyone tuning in. Um, so I just want to thank you for that. Well, of course, you're a good mirror in that, right? Like just what you're doing and having these conversations with so many people, like it's that. Like the name of my original show is the spirit of kind of what you're doing, exploring astrology. Wow. Right? Like my podcast isn't called that anymore. It got a little weirder. Holes to heaven. <laughs> a lot of people don't know what that is, but. It's cosmognosis, right? No, no. The podcast is called Holes to Heavens. Oh, Holes to Heaven. Yeah. Why don't you well, tell us what well, that is? Just because it's interesting. Yeah, sure. So plural, first of all, but it is borrowed from a Jack Johnson song. I will say Holes to Heaven is the name of that song. And I remember when I was a kid, when I first started playing guitar, uh, that song, I really liked that song by Jack and in the chorus of it, there is this, I mean, it, it still is there. It's a song you can listen to is uh, there would be so many fewer questions if stars were still just holes to heaven. Mm. Right. And it's that question. Like it's true. Like there would be so many fewer questions, but stars aren't just holes to heaven. To some they are right. Like to the Egyptians, like Sirius, for example, was kind of like a hole to heaven. It was a portal to the star, like a stargate, if you will. But there's still so many questions around, around this. And so like, you have to keep the beginner's mind. You need to keep the journey going because that's one thing about astrology is that it never ends. Every time you look at a chart is going to express itself differently because the context is different. We're at a different point of time and space. We're different. And so to, to, to offer what we have experienced, to know that 
Chiron is still in a state of discovery himself. Like we're learning until one orbit is complete. I don't think we've learned everything that we have to learn about Chiron. Same is true with Pluto as well. Same is true with Eris. Same is true with a lot of these trans-Neptunian objects. But Chiron's the main one of interest to me at this phase. Like there's just so much. Like he always shows up in my sessions. He's always appearing in odd ways in my dream world. And so I pay attention. I'm like, if you're trying to get my attention, I'm going to listen. And, and so this is some of it that he has offered so far. Okay, so back to my second question, which I never okay. got to, related <laughs> yeah. to what you just said. Yeah. Um, if people are interested, because whenever Chiron comes up, a lot of people are very interested. It's like yeah. it, it's, it's in the psyche and it's, in the, it's a place that people are drawn, they want to explore. Mm-hmm. So if people are intrigued by your way of connecting with Chiron and, and exploring Chiron and discovering Chiron, is there one practice or something that they could do to start to cultivate that personal relationship? Do what he did in the early days. Find a tree, preferably a linden, if it grows in your area, and visit it often, right? You could drink linden tea. They're very, they're very wonderful trees. They get quite big as well. Like when I was in quarantine, when you and I talked last, there was a 200-year-old linden that towered over the house that I was in. And I got to watch that tree come into bloom and just like have these thoughts about the Chiron story the whole time. Like, wow, I feel protected right now. (laughs) Like this whole pandemic is happening. I'm stuck in the States. I can't get home. And, but there's this massive, beautiful linden tree over me. So I was under that tree every day and it did, I think, help keep me even keel and, and, and just trusting and working with a lot of these concepts that uh, we're talking about. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting, like there's been a lot of development since you and I talked um, with COVID, but one of the ones that I think is really fascinating is how it doesn't do very well with sunlight, right? Now, I don't know where the science is on that, but like, I just think like the more you are spending in nature, in like, getting true vitamin D, which we also know is a helpful vitamin to be putting into your body alongside zinc and vitamin C and whatnot, but just getting out there, forest bathing, do whatever you need to do, like learn from Chiron, that fortifies the immune system because you're also in a way taking in dirt, you're taking in germs when you're outside, like extreme isolation like this. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this either, but like after really being isolated and then going out, like when I had to fly here, for example, and then be around a bunch of folks in airports and on the airplane and then get back here, like there was something strange going on in my body after that, right? Because like in a way I had no immunity to anything. I've just been so isolated. And so just, yeah, and learn Chiron stories. There's a lot of good ones out there. And dream with Chiron, but the practice I'm listing too many is, yeah, find a tree, preferably a linden and visit it often. And, see what and when you do something like that, do you hold the intention of connecting with Chiron as you are with the tree or do you just be with the tree and listen to what the tree has to say? I say a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. A little bit of both. Like I like, 
I like constantly training my ear or that part of my heart, if you will, to listen to plants speak. Like plants speak, so do planets. And it's a pretty far out idea for some, but for others, not so much. I got called, uh, I, I got called beyond woo woo or something from someone in the audience when I was talking about how the um, gardenia bush was speaking to me because it actually was. But <laughs> yeah, this yeah. person was like, you're just off the charts, way too woo woo. I was like, okay, well, yeah. it's true in my experience. It's what happened. <laughs> so I'm with you, Adam. Yeah. I mean, most, most cultures, they understand this. I yeah. mean, it's quite obvious to them. Yeah. Of, of how plants speak. And yeah, there's, there's actually a wonderful book uh, by Stephen Buhner that talks about this. There's another one by Elliot Cowan called Plant Spirit Medicine that talks about this. And I mean, yeah, just most indigenous cultures, it's just like, duh. Like, right. Have Hawaiian culture, it's duh. totally normal. They, they were talking <laughs> yeah. about and like fish yeah. were jumping out of the ocean and volunteering themselves in the apron. It's like, this is normal. <laughs> yeah, Yoda knows. Yoda knows. He yeah. Knows we talk about stuff. it over breakfast, actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, Adam, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Yeah. It's always such a pleasure. I know it's so late for you there. There's lots of holes to heaven in, in the sky right now for you. Yeah. I've embraced staying up late as an astrologer. I, it's, it's actually one of the only times consistently that the sky opens up in Dartmoor. Is like around now is something to do with the pressure like it opens up and then i can see jupiter and saturn and mars like everything is visible right now and there is something so powerful about seeing those planets in the sky right now i was i was camping with my girls got woken up at 2 a.m sophia's like mama let's go sit on lawn chairs and look at the stars so we're out there and i look up and it's like the milky way and then saturn and Pluto's there, but couldn't really see it, and Jupiter, and then across the sky was Mars, and it was like, you guys are the big players right now. Like, there's so much information here in just visually connecting with them and feeling the benevolence, really. I don't know if you have that experience, but whenever I connect in directly with the sky, there's such a benevolence that it takes the fear and the anxiety and the, and the um, yeah, those, those things seem to dissipate when we, when there's that opportunity to really connect visually and with our heart to the sky. You get it. You get it. <laughs> I mean, it's sky gazing. It's what we do. If we only get caught in these charts, right, we might get lost. Like you have to have that experience because it's also humbling, isn't it? Very. Right? Like you look at the sky and I mean, my goodness, you're in Hawaii. It's such a wonderful place to see the sky. And yeah, something essential happens. And I mean, it was kind of the main form of entertainment at night back in the day. Like it's where a lot of the stories come from, right? The constellations. And I often say great stories are worthy of constellations. And guess who turned into a constellation when he was released? Chiron. That's right. Full circle. Sag. He's so good at that. Sag. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you for coming, talking Comet Neowise, talking rewilding with Chiron. Um, And just thanks for being in this continual exploration and dance with us here at Astrology Hub. Yeah, of course. I love talking to you, Amanda, and keep doing the amazing work. Keep keeping the wheel turning. Absolutely. It's because of all of those amazing souls out there who continue to tune in and benefit 
that we will continue doing what we're doing. So thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you for being a part of our community. Thank you for tuning into this episode. And thank you as always for making astrology a part of your life. I'll catch you on the next episode. Take care, Adam. Bye. Thank you.